Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! You're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underground and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. Welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, along with Jonathan Williams. Action-packed week for you once again. Georgia, you know, kind of struggles. we got to cover a lot there. Then you've got a game coming up with Auburn this Saturday. It's going to be a, a big one for Georgia in a few different ways, and we'll get into that as we go on. Um, then we're going to continue to do Classic City Pick'ems, even though last week wasn't the best for both of us. Definitely not for me. Um, and then always, you know, wrapping up the show with King of the Hill. So, it should be good, but before we get into it, if you are watching this video and you aren't haven't already liked the video, make sure you like it. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're we watching on YouTube. Last week. We did get the, the hundred. Day so after that is a show. shout out to all of y'all for that watch. I think last we're at time. like 103 now. So it's 103. So we got over. I think we were at 94 or 95 last week when we started. I think, yeah. And then we were asking you guys to help us out. Y'all took care of it, got us up the hundred that we were trying to do. I know that's a small number. And most, it's a big but it's a milestone. Time. Yeah, it's a milestone. We've been doing this for a little while, and that feels good yeah. to get there. I know you, you were happy about it as well. So we appreciate all of that. But if you haven't done those things, make sure you like and subscribe while you're here today as well. Um, but we'll get that out of the way. And then now let's go ahead and jump straight into everything. This Saturday against Missouri was a little bit of a, um, it was a stressor. You know, it was that we were texting back and forth and just saying we we were definitely not in the best of mindsets that night when we were dealing with all of the crazy stuff going on. Um, We've kind of tried to watch a little bit of stuff back and we've, you know, kind of evaluated, stepped back, sat back and and took a different view of the game to kind of see what happened there. Um, Jonathan, when you were able to kind of, well, first you can start with your initial reaction when you were watching the game, you know, how frustrated that kind of stuff. And then. Um, you know, once you had a chance to kind of evaluate what was going on, how you felt, and you know what what you think is going on at that point, it's always frustrating watching your team <clears throat> or watching a team not play at the level that you know that they can and have proven to play at before. It, it, it kind of compare it back to the, how the Braves started their season this year. Everybody knew the Braves were going to be good. They had pitching staff. Now, people didn't know that Spencer Strider was going to come into play. Michael Harris would come in and ball out and stuff like that. But a lot of people had the Braves winning the division and as a playoff team, and they just started off horribly. And it was so frustrating to watch them struggle that much because everybody knew how good they were and how good they should be, but yet they were not playing like that. George, on the other hand, started out hot. First three weeks, they 
everybody said it. Georgia is the best team in college football. And now two weeks in a row, it's just, okay, maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit because this team is not looking like the best team in college football. It's not looking like the team that we saw beat Oregon 49-3. to And it's not looking like the team that scored seven straight touchdowns against Oregon or the team that absolutely mollywopped South Carolina in Columbia. 48 so, to four, or 48 to seven. Yeah. Is that game? So you come into Missouri, a team that, that has been struggling on their own as well, hasn't had that great of a season. And it just is a rocky start everywhere. Offense is turning the ball over again. And the defense is giving up big plays. Like everything that, I, like, is in Georgia's DNA of what they define themselves as a team went wrong and they were not doing it. Offensive line was getting allowing pressure in the pocket. Just everything about the game up until the fourth quarter was horrible to watch. It was just so frustrating, like bang your head up against a wall, like lad dropping a pass, something that he did a week ago, but something that he never has done it's, in it's his not career. Georgia. It's, yeah. He never does that. And it's just, yeah, it's just a lot of players. It's like, man, they never do that, but now they're doing it against Missouri. It just, so frustrating, really is. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. And I was sitting there just – I texted you in the first half at one point. And I said, what are we doing on offense? I was like, it, it, we're not – and I'm not as good at this kind of stuff as some people are as far as evaluating what's going on necessarily. But I was sitting there going that this is not the identity that we are on offense. This is not the plays that we usually run that are our bread and butter. It's it's not like the certain things that you want to see on a day-in, day-out you know, basis. It really made me think. Now, there were some plays in there that we do consistently run that, you know, just not our big plays, like the ones that really work. We weren't running, you know, swing routes to Kenny McIntosh. We weren't running screens to uh, to Brock Bowers. We weren't doing those things that have worked so well for us, even screens to Lad McConkey and stuff to get him in space and let him make a play. We didn't do that kind of stuff, which is what we have done this entire season. And it really made me sit there and go, This feels like we're doing offensively what Georgia kind of came in and did defensively against Alabama in the SEC championship game last year, where they just had a different game plan than what they've been doing all year. They kind of changed things up, and all of a sudden, they punch you in the mouth, and it's not working, and so now you're having to crawl back into the game. The good thing was Georgia came back in the second half, made those adjustments. In the second half, Georgia, or in the first half, Georgia punted three times, fumbled twice, right? In the first half? Yeah, Kendall fumbled and Stetson fumbled. Yes. And so though you had those turnovers and then the three punts. In the first <clears> half. You went five straight drives that were either yes. ended in, I think, either ended in a three and out or a fumble or a turnover. Yes. In the first half. That yeah. Is well, because you only got three points in the first half. Yeah. You got your field goal. Or did and we that get came two? After we got two. I'm sorry, five, we got two. And that there came after points. the five straight drives where you didn't do anything on yes. offense or you had something going and then it killed you killed you shot yourself in the foot with the turnover. And yeah. if you just kind of watch the player's body language in the first half, everybody looked scared to death. Like they had never been in a position like that before. Like, holy crap, we don't know what we're doing. And going back to Todd Munkin's play call, you weren't doing all the simple things and all the things that got you to that point and what had made you so successful in offense. Instead of calling screens to Brock Bowers, you're calling a shovel pass to Brock Bowers, which I know if you hit it, he's running for days. He's probably still running right now. He's in the end zone. But it was just so – everything felt so awkward. Well, we tried that same play against Oregon in week one, and it it also looked pretty bad. It just backfired. It didn't work that time either. Scrap it out of the playbook. Go back to just, hey, Brock Bowers, here's the ball. Go. Like, we'll hand it off to you. We don't care. Just get the ball in your hands. And then when you did finally get Brock Bowers the ball later in the second half – Picks up 11 yards, and he almost scores. He almost gets you in the end zone. 
So the good news is, is that when you were able to find your playmakers, they made big plays. Darnell Washington made several big plays for Georgia. He looked really good. Brock Bowers, when he got his chance, he looked really good. And two guys that really stepped up when they needed to. When um, Kyrus Jackson wasn't playing his best game, Lam McConkie kind of had some struggles again, and you were without A.D. Mitchell. Dominic Blaylock and Marcus Rossimi Jackson absolutely stepped up into their roles. Dominic Blaylock yep. made several huge catches in the game. And then um, Marcus Rossimi Jackson, he just impressed again. He's he's doing his thing right now. I'm really excited to see him like continue to grow in the way that he has because the first few weeks he's made, he's had a couple games where he kind of popped like that yeah. and, and it, really showed it, you something. It's when you needed it most. You needed exactly. someone else to step up into that spot and those and you, two guys. You really did. And the good thing was, you know, and I will stay on the offensive side and I'll get to the defensive side in a second. When, when you started in the second half, Georgia scored on every single drive in the second half. Yes, they still kicked a couple field goals. They scored on every single drive in the second half. That was crucial. That's because they they eliminated those punts, you know, those crazy, those first drives, you know, in the game where they started punting, and then they eliminated those turnovers. They moved the ball efficiently. They still had 490 yards or 480 yards of total offense somewhere around there. Huge shout-out to Jack Podlesny as well. Oh, yeah. You lose the game. If he misses any of those field goals, you probably lose that football game at any point. I mean, Shout out to Missouri's kicker who lost them the game the week before against Auburn. Ice in his veins. What, five field goals? I was like, this dude, dude, don't (laughs) miss. He don't miss right now. And so, yeah, shout out to both kickers, man. I mean, the amount of pressure on every single kick in that game was massive. You remember uh, it it made me – and actually somebody Uh, asked me this. Are you going to go back to the game that finished like 9-6 to Georgia-Missouri? No, 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 not that one. I'm actually – it's not even Georgia that did it. It just made – it felt – somebody asked me in the game. It was like, have you – do you remember a game where they've kicked this many field goals? And instantly into my head I went back to – I can't even remember the year – um, but it was like maybe 2012 or like or 11, like that general range. And it was Bama versus LSU. And I think the game ended at like 12 to 15. Mm-hmm. Yep, it did. It was like 12 Not to 15. Not a single touchdown scored. That was and that that's the game that came into my mind. I was like, that's that's the kind of thing. And we're not getting such great defense on both sides like we did in that game. Um, that led to it again in that one. But it, that's what it came into my mind. I was like, it's way too many field goals. The kickers were just killing it. But the good thing was <coughs> the defense. For Georgia, even though they gave up 22 points, the reason was in the out of I think it was five of the drives in the first half, and that's where they scored all of their stuff. Right, that's where Missouri scored pretty much everything was in the first half. And you gifted them two spots on the field after two turnovers: one at midfield, one in your own territory. And that's what I was going to say. Five of those drives, they started at at least the 45 yard line on their side. They're already in field goal range with that freaking one of them. They started at 45. They, one of them, they started at 45 on Georgia's side. Yeah. So and that was the fumble by um, You're gifting them Kendall, points I think. at that point. So that's why they scored 22 points on Georgia's defense. Georgia's defense actually played extremely well. Less than 300 yards of total offense. I think it was 294. And then the other side was um, I, they had 102 yards rushing, I believe. Oh. And 60 of those came on one play. I was about to So here's a stat. Georgia, if you take out that 60-yard run or how many yards he ran for. It was close enough, yeah. Missouri would average just 1.9 yards per rush. If you take out that one rushing play, Georgia's defense played good. That's what, It's like we go back to Kent State. Georgia's defense really did not play that bad. They were just put in tough situations, it seemed like, every single time they stepped out onto the field. And they just had to do the best with what they got, man. I mean, they stopped them almost every single time. They gave up that one touchdown where it was really just a good play call by Missouri. Kamari Lasser got a little confused. 
and the guy was wide open in the end zone. He bat daggum dropped it because the quarterback almost overthrew it. But yep. still, they capitalized on that opportunity. But other than that, your defense held up for you. Your defense kept you in that game. If that guy scores on that run, that 60-plus yard run, game over. Shouts you, to you Malachi Starks for yeah. absolutely – Malachi- he was on the other side of the field and just – Darts the whole 60 yards and tackles the guy. And that takes discipline in that situation to run that guy down. He wasn't the closest guy to the guy. He just was the fastest, apparently. Inches away from getting into the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, inches away. Yeah, less than a yard. Less than a yard. Save the game right there. If he gets in the end zone, you lose that game. So your defense actually played really good almost. Now, of course, there's things to clean up with, like Keely Ringo. Had a play where, yeah, you probably should have pass interference called on you. You got there a little too early. Got you got burned times, a couple yeah. times. So there are some things to clean up, and especially there's going to have to figure some things out with um, Jalen Carter um, being out for a few weeks now, which is really unfortunate. That is it officially an MCL sprain or something like that? Yeah, and it's unfortunate that the play it happened on. If you want to hear someone really break it down for you of whether or not it was dirty, I encourage you to go watch Brooks's um, All-22 film t- that he released today. Really puts it in perspective of whether or not that guy made a dirty play or not, and I think he does a great job defining what is and isn't a dirty play from a perspective of a former offensive yeah, lineman. Yeah, a guy that has played that position before. So I would ran the triple option where they cut block a lot. Yeah. So we're not going to sit here and rant on anything, but we I think Brooks does a really good job of discussing that. So you should go check that out. It's a really good five minute clip of him. He even posted on Twitter as well. If you want to go check that as well, but. So I think defense played really uh, pr- pretty solid. I would say. I'd say overall, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't an A plus, you know, but I think it's like a B plus uh, for the defense. They had a couple yeah. big plays that were given up, so I'm not going to give them the A on there. A couple things got away from them, um, but overall, I think the performance was what you wanted it to be, and the, it's really deceiving to look at those 22 points being Absolutely. on the board. And that's why it's important, I think, after a game. Just kind of take a step back and reanalyze everything because, you know, emotions are running high during the game. And the box score truly doesn't tell the whole story all the time. And I think no. this is a game that was truly an, um, an example of that. So, <clears throat> and for the offense as well, or really just as a team holistically, for this week, the biggest thing that we learned about Georgia is now you know you can come from behind and win a game. <clears throat> if you ever need to do that, and the remainder of the season, you know Please that your team is capable of. My heart can't take that. That was tough. Stetson Bennett finished the game 7-for-7, seven seven, I believe, and led his team down the field for a touchdown. Yep. He finished the day with 300-plus passing 312, yards. 312, yeah. So It was like 24 for 44. He threw the crap out of the ball. But um, that's another thing. You know, last year, anytime Stetson was put in that position, Georgia doesn't win those games. Actually, what was the stat? I think there was like four or five games that he had thrown for 30-plus times, and, and Georgia, Georgia lost, lost every, single every single one of them. One. So now – so you throw 45 times and you win the game. You win the game. So that shows you something. And he <clears throat> threw for 312 yards. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest takeaway from Georgia here. And the fact that – and Kirby made a comment about how this was a really big um, game, not in regards to just winning the game or whatnot, but a big bonding moment is what he said. You know, your back's against the wall. You come in at halftime. You got to light a fighter, fighter under someone. And I think the, um, there was a coach. I don't know if it was Kirby. I don't know if it was a player or someone. But someone said that Darnell Washington and Stetson Bennett were the leaders in that locker room and basically told everybody what needed to be done in the second half. Can't hang our hats now. We got to finish this game. We got to get out of here with a win. So kudos to those guys. Knowing that you have leaders. Jamon Dumas Johnson showed leadership On in that the sideline, game. yeah. Lighting in. You could say what you want. People are going to say that, oh, Kirby Smart's locker room is in shambles. He can't control his players. No, it's just That's Jamon Dumas Johnson being respected yeah. as a leader. If you look at Kamari Lasser, he's making direct eye contact with Jamon the entire time that he is speaking. Takes his helmet off even to look him in the eyes. That's someone that 
he respects respects in that locker room. So that's just guys being leaders, and that's key in those types. And of you can tell he's not arguing back or even saying anything. He's listening to what the guy's saying. He expects better from him because your locker room a has player. a problem if Kamari Lasseter then starts arguing or even yeah. fighting, like you know, getting in his face and stuff like that. But <clears> it's not in shambles. You don't have a problem when it's one person talking to the other and the other person's listening and absorbing that information. That's the same. Somebody else brought this up. So this isn't my like observation. Um, I saw it on Twitter the other day was it, it didn't, it wasn't the exact same, but it did feel similar to where you saw um, Nakobe, you know, preaching yeah. to, to Kendall in the national championship game and like getting in his face, but then turns around the very next play. Kendall goes and makes a huge and sack. Kamari went on to have a really good game. After yes. that. He did. Kamari he had a good game overall. Plays. Yeah. He had, he did, you know, had a couple plays or at least a play where, you know, they were kind of a miscommunication on, and that was clearly what was going on there. But early in that game, I was telling you this earlier, he was flashing. He was making plays. He was in the right spots. He was doing stuff. And I think he had a really good game overall, and that's just a moment where you've got somebody, you know, trying to be a leader. And, you know, in years past, I don't know that Georgia wins that football game. Previous years, Georgia yeah. probably does not come out of Missouri with a win in that type of game. I looked it up today. I looked up every single – all 15 losses in Kirby Smart's career – they averaged two turnovers per game in those in those losses. In all 15 of them, they averaged two turnovers. Georgia in the last two weeks has averaged two and a half. So years past, I don't know that you walk out of both Kent State and Missouri with a win. You probably win, <clears throat> you probably split them in years past, like talking three years ago, because last year's team was special. They weren't even in a dogfight like that until they actually had to play some competition later on in the year. So yeah, for sure. And like this is one thing that um Georgia right now is not the number one team in the country after watching the past two weeks. I think they struggled. I would say, and that's not me just saying, I'm not one of those fans that's going, good, take it away because it apparently got to their head or all that kind of Ugh. stuff. That's not how that works. I don't think that's like, I, I don't Do think I need that's to bring back my rant from last year saying uh, where I talked the about the same kind of thing. Quit saying that Georgia, like, we don't want the number one. That's bullcrap, man. That is I don't think that having the number one spot played a factor in that. Otherwise, it would have played a factor against South Carolina, and it didn't. You know, South Carolina lost by 41 points. So I think it's one of those things that, like, it didn't have anything to do with it. I do think that they deserve to fall to number two because they got to jump. Think about it. They got to jump Alabama after Alabama had a bad showing against Texas, right? So then Alabama should get to jump Georgia after Georgia has a bad showing against Missouri. It's fair. Like, to me, it's okay. And Georgia – could potentially get it back. Do I think that Alabama has another game like that? I really don't. But I also, I'm I'm hopeful that Georgia won't have another game like they just and had on Saturday either. Rankings don't even matter until after that first weekend in December. After conference championship yep. weekend, that's the only time where rankings matter. That's it. So we're in first week of October. Rankings don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're second or if you're 22nd. I mean, like, if you're in a, if you still control your own destiny, you're in a perfect spot right now to make a run. I told for the somebody else this. Playoff. I was talking to somebody yesterday about it, and I said, I really don't care. Like, if we were number one, I don't care for number four at this time of year. Like, it isn't. I do think it's important that you you are in the top. Stay 10 in the conversation because you got to be in the conversation. You got to be high enough. You got to be up in the top six, seven, something like that. So you give yourself a fighting chance to be able to be in the top four once they release those playoff rankings at that point. So if you didn't start the season at like 25, then it doesn't matter. If you start the season at 25, then each spot matters because you got to climb into it. takes care of football, bottom line. Georgia takes care of business the rest of the way. They're going to be fine. Yep, like, you control your own destiny. You so. just win. Like you you literally – I know everybody says it all the time. You, you play do control to win the game. <laughs> you get to control your own destiny. Just keep playing and keep winning these games 
and then you're in a spot, you know, if you can get to what we all, most everybody predicted, including us, was Georgia going 12-0 and this year. As long as you can do that, you will be where you free. need to go. These, these games don't matter anymore. They You won them. They're a win in the column. That's all that matters because come week 10, they're going to say, yeah, you, you beat Missouri. They're not going to say, yeah, but they really sucked against Missouri back in week five. Well, heck, I mean, in 2017, you got blistered by Auburn. And the regular season matchup in Jordan Harris. Yep. I mean, absolutely blistering that game. Beat by three touchdowns. Three weeks later, you were in the Coshwell playoff. Like, I mean, you got you well, got two weeks demolished. later. Two weeks later, you beat Auburn well, by twenty one points. Football is going to take care of football. If you run the table the rest of the way, you take care of business and you play like you're capable of. Nobody's going to be talking about what you did in week um, week four or five against Missouri. Nope. No one's going to be talking no about it anymore. Be about that. And honestly, we're done talking about it what because they could it's be time. Talking about. It's time to move forward. Yep, Auburn. So when you look at Auburn, it is a team that, you know, barely beat Missouri the week before Georgia played Missouri, right? And we talked about, I mentioned it a little bit ago, Missouri wins that game if their field goal kicker makes a fairly easy field goal. But then against Georgia, he makes five of them. No issue against Georgia. Nope. He apparently figured it out. Um, But anyway, so you have a team that struggled against Missouri and lost to Missouri when they got in, in trouble down the stretch. And then now Georgia's going into, you know, or they get to stay at home. So it's a home game. They get to play at home against them. They are a 30-point favorite. What is your thought on that? That's where we'll start because you and I talked about it. I do think that that's a little high. There's no way. Um, I'm not saying they aren't po- it, it, they aren't capable of winning that game by 30 because if they come out and execute like they did against South Carolina and they did against Oregon where they are scoring those red zone touchdowns when they get there, not settling for those field goals, they are capable of doing it. Would I put my money on Georgia plus 30 or minus 30? No, I wouldn't. I th- and I think it – now, first off, Vegas odds are all about who's putting money on who. Clearly, people are putting money on Georgia to win this game, and that's why the number has risen from 26 to 30, and it's only halfway through the week. But I think what it also tells you is that nobody's expecting Georgia to keep struggling. Right. Nobody's expecting Georgia to continue to struggle against teams that they shouldn't. And – I think part of the reason why they did struggle against Missouri is that you had a game against Kent State, and then you had a game against Missouri, two teams that you probably aren't circling on your calendar headed into this season, two teams that you know you're going to take care of business of and you know you're going to get wins. Now, Auburn, that's a different story. doesn't matter how bad Auburn is. doesn't matter if they're 0-10 when you play them or they're the worst team in college football. It's Deep South's oldest rivalry. Yep. It is. You have been playing these dudes since the 1800s. Yep. That is remarkable to think about. I mean, it's 127th meeting between these two teams. I don't care what the records are. I don't care what the circumstances are. These two teams hate each other. There is no lack of hatred, and there's it's always going to be a big one. It's always one you circle on your calendar, and it's always one where Georgia's going to show up and give Auburn their best, and it's one that Auburn's always going to show up and try to give Georgia their best. The good news, you're at home. And Auburn has not beaten you. I cannot stand Jordan Hare Stadium. Oh my and god! Yeah, there's some there's some weird stuff that goes on down there. There's some voodoo magic around that stadium. But the good news is you play them at home, and they haven't beaten you at home since 2005. Wow! I mean, good lord, that is it's crazy if you think about that. That's a long time to go without beating a team in their home stadium. It's just and Kirby Smart's lost one time to Auburn. It was back in 2017. We already covered that, and since that. Georgia has beaten them by like an average of 17.6 points per game. Like it's been, it's been dominance for Georgia in this matchup. And hopefully that's what Georgia can get back to this weekend against Auburn and just kind of build some momentum back. And I think it's a perfect game because 
Crowd's going to be jumping all over the place. It's going to be a high-energy environment. First time at home that where you kind of get that environment. The first two yeah. home games are kind of, yeah, all right. Noon, nooners or 4 o'clock, Sanford, Kent State. Like, okay, It's whatever. the opponent more than anything, too, in those noon so. games and stuff like that. It really plays. And, yes, Zach, that's actually what I was about to bring up next. I did see this. Um, a center, the center for um, Auburn, that he was being interviewed today, and he said that basically the short summary is – if they can keep Georgia out of their third down package, which means being successful in first, second downs and moving quickly to keep them from being able to sub in their third down package, that he thinks that they will be able to dominate, and that was his words, dominate Georgia's defensive what line. A, what a coward statement to say because you know you're not going to be going against Jalen Carter and the center would be the guy facing Jalen Carter. That's such a coward statement. The fact that like you know he's not in the game anymore. And just to blindly say something, what are people going to learn? You, you give George bulletin board material, ask Florida how that's gone for them in years past. It, it doesn't go too well, fellas. I'll go no, ahead and tell you right now. It, it doesn't at all. And he he continues to say that he didn't even think that Georgia had a lot of confidence in some of the guys that they'd be subbing in on that defensive line. And he really kind of went into it on there. And no, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that one, uh, Georgia's going to be in their third down package because you aren't going to be so successful in first and second down that you're going to be able to keep them out the of it. The fact that Auburn hasn't been able to run the ball with Tank freaking Bigsby. Which I love that guy. My opinion. He's so good. One of, if not the best running backs in the SEC. I, I'm a big fan of Tank Bigsby. If you can't run the ball with him, you got some major issues up front and just probably some major issues with your offense in general. So that's pretty well, cool. Well, yeah, they're averaging, I'm pulling it up real quick, is 160 yards a game rushing, and that's with Tank Bigsby. Um, and you got running. mobile quarterbacks as well. So you're only averaging 160 rushing yards with a mobile quarterback. And Tank Bigsby in your backfield, that's some for, issues, For man. perspective, a lot of Georgia fans especially would say that Georgia's running game hasn't been that good this year. Um, and has, But, like, Georgia has 179 per game, so they've got 20 more yards per game on the ground that's without Tank Bigsby. Slinging the ball around the yard a lot. Well, yeah, because they're too. throwing the ball 300-plus yards, 342, 343 yards a game um, for Georgia passing, which is one of those things that I think that Georgia's going to continue to play pretty well against Auburn. In the passing game, they're going to be able to stretch. I do think that they're going to get, you know, I, I don't think they come out and, and run the same type of offense they did in the first half against Missouri. I think they stick to what they've been playing. That's what Georgia did last year when they kind of changed their defense. Next matchup against Alabama um, and next matchup against Michigan was the next game. I kept, they absolutely went back to what they were used to doing defensively. I kept saying to the TV during the Missouri game, get in your bag, Monk. Come on, dip on, dip on into that bag. And it felt like he never did. I think Monken's going to get back into his bag this week and start calling the stuff that's made them so successful. And I'll say this as well. It's been two weeks now for Ladd McConkey, kind of struggling a little bit, dropping some balls, kind of in his head a little bit is what it really just seems to boil down to. It doesn't seem like it has anything to do with his ability, of course. It just, it's oh, kind of a very talented. head case moment. But last year, Ladd McConkey's coming out game against Auburn. Hey, I think he had 134 receiving yards in that game and a touchdown. So it's I think it – it's only right to say that his breakout game again this year to get him back on track is going to be against Auburn this this week as well. A.D. Mitchell is on the verge of potentially coming back this week. You might see him in some action. I don't know. High there ankle was sprains, some talk about that, yeah. High ankle sprains, though, that's that's a touchy injury to really it's, – it's, it's touch and go kind of because, you know, one day you might feel really good about it. The next day, not so much. So you really got to be careful with those. And you want him for the rest of the season – just like you want Jalen Carter for the rest of the season. You really got to be careful with these early injuries in this season. And But the good news is you also got Arian Smith back last week. 
He also made some pretty. He made. Yeah, a, he made. He made a, he made a couple as well. plays. Yeah. It was nice to see number eleven run around on the I, field again. So I was shocked as soon as I saw him. I was like, "Oh, there he is!" Well, you know, there was. Talk I didn't like, know he was playing. You'll probably see him on the field, but it'll probably just be running a go route, be kind of a decoy type thing. But no, he actually made a reception and a pretty big one, if I remember correctly. So it was nice seeing Arian Smith back on the field. So you're getting guys back on offense now, and even Kenny McIntosh last week was playing banged up as well. He had a bone bruise, and the fact that he still went. Many people didn't expect him to play last week, but he still went. So, really just, it's important this week more than anything to just get back into the role of things and really build up some momentum, and it's a perfect game to do it in your home environment against a big rival, get a big win, and then you're coasting through the rest. And the ball, you're, I mean, you're starting the bulk of your SEC schedule right now. You got Auburn, and then Florida's around the corner, Tennessee's lurking, Kentucky's lurking at the end of the season as well. So, you got some big games coming up. It's crucial that you get into a your stride now and you maintain it especially against you also got mississippi state who's ranked now looking pretty strong as well scoring a lot of points as always um my big thing yeah they just d- dismantled texas a&m last week yeah like absolutely like beat them by what 20 something points i don't remember what it was but it was it was high and texas a&m is the one that's falling from grace quickly <laughs> on their side of it but no, i'll give you this my my two keys to the game this coming saturday and they're pretty straightforward it, it's and most people can probably figure this out Number one, don't turn the ball over. Yeah, no kidding. Don't don't turn the ball. That's your two weeks in a row where you've turned the ball over. You had plus zero times. turnovers for the first three weeks. You've had five in the last two. Yeah, three against Kent State and two last week against Missouri. Eliminate those, and you you keep Different from ball game. You're giving them extra possessions, and you're putting them at good field position. Was you big were on both of those. Driving down the field and both Kent of those State. Turnovers. Well, Kent State. You know the the fumbled punt gave them the ball in the red zone, so that was immediate. Mm-hmm. And then, at, you know, the fumble was on Georgia's side of the field this past week. Um, both fumbles, I believe, were in yes. on the side of yes. on Georgia's side of the field. Stetson's was on like our own thirty-eight yard yeah. line or something like that. Yeah, and I believe Kendall's was around the forty-five. It was like midfield-ish. It was almost. Of, it was like forty-five right roughly. Um, but eliminate those. If you take those out of the game, you take those extra possessions away from the other team and good field position it's where they put game. points on the board from those. Makes a huge difference. Number two is going to be uh, scoring in the red zone, but not just the field goal. We've got to – you don't have to score seven straight touchdowns, but you cannot kick four field goals mm-hmm. in the game uh, coming up let against me, Auburn. Let me, let me plug my stats, daughter. Go for it. You got All right. it. So Georgia has had 31 red zone attempts this season. 31. And out of 31, they've scored on – shoot, I'm blanking on the, what the stat is. I'm going to have to pull it up on my phone. Bottom line is you're kicking a lot of freaking field goals, and you're kicking more field goals than anyone else in the nation. I want to get the numbers exact on this, so it'll take just Which, a second. Which, by the way, uh, if you would see these numbers already if you follow him all the way on that far side over there, Dr. underscore J. Will. Uh, okay. That's where he posts his stats of the day, and this is one of them. All right, so – Georgia has the second-best red zone scoring percentage amongst all FBS teams. Second-best red zone scoring percentage. The issue, however, is out of 31 red zone trips, 11 of them have resulted in field goals. Georgia is the only team in the country currently to have more than 10 red zone field goals made. 10 or more is what it should say. So you're kicking more field goals than anybody else. You also lead the nation in red zone attempts, though. So that's a major plus is that you're getting there more than anybody else. Now it's just a matter of when you get down there, you have Got to capitalize on it with with touchdowns instead of field goals. It's okay if maybe one out of four or something like that it stalls out and it ends up in a field goal. That's okay. 
But you, you can't be kicking four straight field goals like you did against Missouri. That, you cannot be doing that. You have got to get in the end zone, and that's something Georgia has to fix. But I agree. Those are the two big keys for Georgia for the rest of the season. That's it. Take care of the football and get in the freaking end zone when you're in uh, the, the opposing team's territory. That's it. That's all you got to do. And like I said a minute ago, I wouldn't put my own money on Georgia to cover that 30-point spread this week uh, because of the past two weeks because there is some uncertainty on there. But if Georgia does not turn the ball over and they score those touchdowns, they only kick maybe two field goals in the red zone next week, then I think – because they're going to move the ball. Once again, this team is averaging over 500 yards of offense a game. And so they are going to move the ball. They're going to be in the red zone. So if they can settle for – or if they don't have to settle for field goals – and they don't turn the ball over, I think they can cover that 30-point spread this week. I really do. I think this is a very important game for Georgia, um, just for confidence. I think it's one of those games, like fans, I don't care about the fans. Like I'm a, I'm a fan too, I, so I understand Like when you get frustrated with it. I, I really do. But a fan saying that like they, ha- like they don't care about these past two, like the fans care. The team is like, hey, we got our win. But 24-hour rule, you flush it after that. This is – What's important now is not to continue to do that because then it becomes more of your identity of that, hey, you are struggling this season. If you do it three straight games where you can't get in the end zone, you know, like that, and, and you, you you give a team that's a a lot worse of a team than you, like a real chance to win the game. This was a game that I genuinely was worried Georgia was going to lose last week. I, I was, like genuinely sitting there, and I think everybody was. You thought Georgia might lose. This one's important to go out there and, and basically assert your dominance, mm-hmm. to give your team its confidence back. So it feels comfortable, you know, moving forward and saying, hey, we are still that good team that everybody talked about at the beginning of the year. We just had a couple of bad weeks in there. Still got the wins. We can move forward. They don't matter anymore. But this is who we are today. That's what you need to get. Pull up that bottom comment for me, Stoddard. You're the one that – I'm going to give a shout-out to my old man right here. This is my dad right here. He's saying that you got to scheme Darnell touches in the red zone. Stand the man. Yes, you absolutely have to. And I tweeted another stat set. You know, just flaunt my own stuff ahead, right now. I'm ahead. plugging myself all throughout the show, but I think it's re- it really does relate to what we're talking about. In just five games this season, Darnell Washington has already set a new career high in receiving yards with 184, career best. He also has tied his career high in receptions with 10 and is averaging 18.4 yards per reception. Get that man the rock. I don't care, especially in the red zone. He's taller than ever. Look. I'm He's six, six, six foot eight. <laughs> add another inch to me and 60 more pounds of muscle. Not fat, not just weight. I'm talking 60 more pounds of muscle. That's Darnell Washington. I'm not saying I'm some massive human being walking around, but that man is. All Freaking right. Bean pole over here. <laughs> I am a bean pole. I'm the wind blows too much. Bored. He's going to fall down. Jesus. Nothing takes down Darnell Washington. <laughs> no. I mean, guys were just <laughs> bouncing off of him against Missouri. Get that man the ball. Dude, I mean, that play against Missouri where it was on the far like far side of the field and he's just running right down the side. He catches it and he's, and he's, and he's in the air. He's not even planted on the ground. He's in the air, reaches up. Dude hits him, which, by the way, was targeting uh, 100% yeah. of the way. Was just because you're a big old boy doesn't mean you can't yeah. get targeting. Definitely was you. targeting. Just because the dude bounced five yards backwards <laughs> after you doesn't mean it can't be called it's not, targeting. It's not your fault that the other dude is just smaller than you, so he hit you and he went backwards more than you went backwards <laughs> while you weren't even playing it on the man. ground. But, you know, uh, no, that was that was an incredible show of, like, his physicality and his size for I sure. I saw something funny today on Twitter. Someone went, told me, you cannot even create Darnell Washington in NCAA 14 because – the measurements, they locked it out. You cannot even make someone that size at tight end in NCAA 14. 
you cannot make Darno. That's how big this man it's is. Bigger than video it's games. Insane. It's like, nah, fam. This is a, this is a legitimate cheat code. We cannot be having this type of specimen running around on the field because you're gonna win 99 nothing every single time. So NCAA Jesus. next year, we gotta have Darno. We gotta be able to make a copy of Darno Washington in the game because we're not gonna have him. We're not gonna be able to use him next year because he's gonna be gone in the NFL, getting that hefty paycheck that he's deserving this year. But, yeah. but you at least know that you have human beings this big yeah. playing tight end. He's proven it. <laughs> it's possible. Well, it's against all odds. Yes, it is very. But possible. he's doing it. He's a big man. Dude. Get that ball to Rock. Get Rock Bowers and Darno Washington the ball, and you set, man. That's, that's all you gotta do. I, that's that, once again, just get back to what you're used to doing. Yeah. And then you'll be fine. I, I don't think you're going to have any more problems moving forward. But I think that uh, Georgia is going to – I think this is going to be a different type of week this week. I think you should be excited to watch Georgia play this week against Auburn at home. As, as fans, if you're going to the game, make sure you're loud and proud and, and making everything – you know, make it a fun environment for the team, and and they'll play for you. I, I really feel like they're going to give you what, you what you're coming out here to play. Um, outside of Georgia, it is now time for we Classic got City. we rivalry to talk about. Yes. We got Classic City Pickums coming up. Last week was a rough week for me. Uh, Jonathan is now back up by one in the standings. I'm trying to pull up the overall record. And I'm trying to uh, get out there for you guys. The overall ranking. Uh, ranking. I think it is. Yeah. So I, think I am it's, now six and five. Yeah. And, and Stoddard I'm is now five, five and six. six. Yeah. So those are your standings right now. I hold. I had a, a bad one, week last week. Hold a one game lead right now. Last week was a bad week. You tried to warn me last week. I went one. I know. I told you. I said, buddy, you're putting all your eggs in a basket that consists of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. That ain't a good look. (laughs) You'll like my picks today, then. (laughs) He's going back to his roots, baby. (laughs) My picks. I went back to some teams that I feel more comfortable picking on. Um, But I'll let you start. I'll let you go with the first one. First one. I got TCU minus seven. TCU absolutely dismantled Oklahoma. I mean. It was there was people joking about who's going to get to 63 first, Aaron Judge or TCU because they they were pouring it down on Oklahoma this past week and just crushed them, absolutely dismantled them. So TCU is going against Kansas, two undefeated teams. Now the reason why I t- I'm liking TCU in this matchup is TCU is running hot right now and Kansas has had a couple struggle wins right now, pretty emotional wins. Uh, they had that one game against Duke where it came down pretty close and they had to really fight for that one. Whereas TCU's riding high right now. They're riding a big wave of momentum. They're seven-point favorites coming into this one. I really like the Horned Frogs in this one. Great mascot, by the way. One of my favorite mascots in all of college football. So TCU minus seven against um, having a mind blank. Against Kansas this week is who I'm rolling with for the first one. Kansas has looked pretty darn good. They have. Out of nowhere. Out of freaking nowhere. Undefeated. Go Jayhawks, baby. They're not just a basketball school, all right? Put some respect on their name. Yeah. What is it, 5-0 now officially? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 5-0 officially on there. I, I don't I don't mind that pick, though. I, when I saw that, actually, um, you sent me your stuff. I had to go back and look to see who you picked again and be like – because I, I started to look at that game yeah. for a minute and start looking at it. So there we'll see weren't how that goes very many good ones to choose from. No, and that's why like, my, I'm going to start with this one because I think my, I my next one – my next one, I think, is better, um, a better pick than this. But this is my first one. Is I've got Ole Miss minus 17 against Vanderbilt. Oh, no, this one. I meant your the, next My one. next one is the one that I think is a lot better. This is my first one. That, it's a little bit of a stretch on there. Um, Ole Miss, 17 has a, a lot of points. I usually shy away from spreads like that because there's just so much uncertainty. All it takes is one play to change it from like a 20-point game to like a you know 13-point game. man. They get you. Yeah, those late, those late games. A, tra- a trash time um, touchdown. Yeah, garbage time touchdown or something like that. And and so Bama killed Vanderbilt, as we all expected. I don't expect you know Ole Miss to put 55 up or 55-3 to three type score, but I do expect them to 
I think they'll still score 40 points, and I don't think that Vanderbilt's going to go out there and score. The only thing that made me a little bit nervous about that game is that Vanderbilt's offense really isn't a slouch, or at least it's not as big of a slouch as it has in years past. Well, they've played NIU, Wake Forest, Elon, and Hawaii. I came close to picking that one. I actually came close to picking both the games that you picked, but I went a different route. So my next one, I got Maryland minus three, and – there's only one reason why, and partially it's really because of the guy's name, but also because he's playing really good football right now. But if I don't know if you guys know who Maryland's quarterback is, but it's Talia Tagovailoa. It's um, Tua's. It's Tua's brother. It's Tua's brother. Yeah. And he's freaking balling out at Maryland for the Terrapins this year. He's got 1,400 passing yards and eight touchdown passes as well. He's playing pretty freaking good for the Terrapins up there, and they got um, some pretty good wide receivers as well. And they go against Purdue this week. Maryland's offense scores a bunch of points, and they have all season, whereas Purdue's really hasn't been able to keep up with What's that this, type of pace. You the spread was three? Minus, minus three, three for Maryland. So I'm rocking with Maryland on this one. They're, uh, they're having a pretty solid season for themselves. I think they're four and one right now, and Purdue is three and two. So I'm taking the Terrapins minus three against Purdue. I know. I gave Stoddard hell last week for dipping into the Big Ten, but – I'm going against my own advice, which might bite me in the butt Let's this see. week. But I'm going Let's with see the if, big it if it works. If it if it bites him, if it bites him, you're not going to see either of us touch a Big Ten team if, the rest of the season. I don't know if the Big Twelve and Big Ten combo is any better than the Pac Twelve no. and the Big Ten. So, but it's really not. We'll, so we'll, we'll find out. You know, because I, I want to hit on this just because it's kind of relevant. Talking about the the Big Twelve, uh, Oklahoma really did fall from grace. See, like, I didn't even expect Oklahoma to be that good this year. You have a first-year head coach in Brent Venables, yeah. who's a defensive-minded guy. Like, Shouts to got, Roots. That's what got me this comment, yeah, by the way. Roots, Roots is sparking up this conversation. Section. It's a good conversation to talk about. So, you, And then you brought Dylan Gabriel from UCF to come be your quarterback, who, don't get me wrong, he's, he's a solid quarterback, but he's not just below you. It's not what Oklahoma's used to having at the position. It's like, I didn't expect Oklahoma to come out here and be a top-10 team this year, if I'm being honest. Like, it, it, like first-year head coaching situations are always a little finicky. You really never know what to expect, and you can't put too much emphasis on a coach's first year. I mean, Kirby Smart almost went 500 in his first year at Georgia. Now look at what he's doing. So you got to give those things time. And I think if they do get Brent Venable's time at Oklahoma, then they will be in a better spot, especially considering you are coming into the SEC. So having a defensive-minded coach is probably good to have in that type of conference. But you just got to give them time. But, yeah, Roots. It's, it, it is a hot mess up there with the Sooners right now. Very hot mess. Yeah, it's really been rough there. And um, it, I'll, it'll be you got to give them time to see what they're going to be able to do. I'm not big on these first-year head coaches having incredible seasons uh, and putting all the eggs in the basket. Hence, we all know how I feel about certain teams in this uh, in this podcast space. Still hating um, on them. But, I'm not, but I, I give them a lot more credit now than I did at the beginning of the season. You're welcome, Lincoln. I got you back, buddy. <laughs> I give them a lot more credit at this point than I did before. And I know because uh, uh, Zach mentioned this in the comments earlier. He said, fade USC. I don't touch USC um, at this point in time of the pick them stuff anymore. I'm shying away. Actually, last week, I really, really wanted to pick the, like pick against them. And I should have I've because they didn't cover the, the spread. A little bit. They didn't cover the spread last week. And I really looked at that game and I told you. And I was like, this one, that one wasn't an emotional pick. I was like, I really think that this is going to be one that they could they could not cover. And I stayed away from it, and that was my own fault. But then, you I, know, was, like, I was just too nervous touch to touch him again. Arizona State was coming out of some very murky yeah. waters with their head coaching situation yeah. and all that stuff. I was like, I wouldn't touch that one. But no, that was Oklahoma. Um, oh, you mean the two weeks ago is the one? OSU. You're talking about yeah, 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 yeah. OSU. Okay. 
when they were playing Oklahoma State. Yeah, there that is was no, the game that I was. There ain't a lick of defense in the Pac-12. Maybe Dan Lanning can show these people the right of way with Oregon. They're like, hey, defense is pretty good to have on your football team too. You know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Lincoln Riley. You might want to think about that and start recruiting some defensive players. At all. Just because you got a Heisman quarterback doesn't mean everything's fine and dandy and you're going to be hoisting up national championships every single yep. year. Yep, nope. But Pac, that's enough about the Pac-12. I'm yeah. going to bring us back to focus on the class back to the SEC. We are a little bit of that. We get we see a squirrel sometimes, and we get you know focused on it. But we appreciate the comments because the comments yeah, are what sparks conversation. You guys, too, you're here supporting us, and so we. we if want that's to what you want to talk about, no. we'll talk about it for a minute. We're here. Um, but my next pick is Tennessee minus three. I believe it is. Yeah, minus three against LSU. Um, reason four is I LSU is surprisingly four and one right now. I know, um, like, which is pretty crazy. They've, they've been having a pretty solid year after that debacle against FSU. Because oh it was not looking good after that one. Yeah, and Oregon, yes, Oregon is four and one. They are looking decent as well, Zach. Um, but LSU being, uh, you know, four and one, I think it's a little deceiving. You know, it, they they had that really bad game against FSU. They really, really got lucky last week against Auburn. Auburn gave them that game, like handed them, literally, basically handed them the ball. And I, I just don't think that that's going to be something that Tennessee does. I th- LSU struggled to score a lot of points last week. I think they only scored 21. They won that game by four. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. that Tennessee is going to just outrun them. I think three points is going to – the reason I, I like that spread is because I don't think that they're going to have a chance to keep up with Tennessee. They don't have a good enough defense to actually keep them at like a 20-point game, which is what they would have to do to in, in order in my head to beat Tennessee or not let them cover that spread. Well, my dad's pointing out right now in the comments is exactly why I did not pick this game because it's an 11A kickoff in Death Valley. Death Valley is one of the most hostile environments in all of college football. I do not like touching games, regardless of however many points are underdogs or favorited by. I don't like touching those games. I especially don't like – I picked Tennessee against Florida, and, man, I had a bad beat in that game. It was it, – That was – We that were was, watching that one together, and I literally yeah, we were, was just We like, were at a bar downtown watching that one. That was It fun. was not <laughs> a good time. I, I thought I had it in the bag, and then Tennessee let me down. I will n- never, never I, – I, 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 That, that, that was a good be, one. That's one I'm going to stay away from for a while. And teams that just but, don't really have a defense I, – I, I have a hard time picking them because to this just, point, though, the, I, I understand that it's an 11 a.m. kickoff in Death Valley. The 11 a.m. kind of takes away the Death Valley part. If this was a night game in Death Valley, know, man. if this was a night game or at least a midday Maybe later Cajuns game. Cajuns get after it, Stoddard. I'm just saying. They're drinking man, I at just, 6 a.m., 5 a.m., yep, whatever yep, it takes, brother. They are, but usually Georgia is a hard game to play in Athens as well. But you put us in a noon kickoff and all of a sudden it's not the same. It's just not. I get it. And so I it's, get it. I understand playing in Death Valley is extremely difficult, but a three-point spread in a game that I think that they're going to – I do think Tennessee's going to go out there and score 40 points in. Them Cajuns have been do, doing lines of Tony Sachery's season in, brother. That, that, they, they a different breed out there, so we'll see. Yeah. Stan, I, I, I know. <laughs> I know. I know I'm it. trying. Look. I know look, it. I understand. Everybody's trying to help you right now. I understand. Listen, you went against your own advice this week, so I don't want to hear it. Get out of my face The Williams that. family no. is trying to take care of you right now, but it's locked in. That's it's it. in. That's it. We got our picks. Go ahead and summarize yours again. All right. I got TCU playing against Kansas, and I've got TCU minus seven. And I got the Maryland Terrapins, baby, the Turtles, the minus Turks. three versus um, Purdue. So those Purdue. are my two games. And I've got uh, Ole Miss minus 17 against Vanderbilt, and then I've got Tennessee minus three against LSU. All right. 
now we're we're jumping right into King of the Hill because man, we're forty seven minutes into the show. Yeah, we try we and keep it cruised. around forty minutes, but there, we'll make this yeah, one kind of a good but short. There was a lot to talk about with this very game, and then we got distracted with Oklahoma talk. So we're just gonna jump right into it. Start it. Big rivalry week for Georgia. Rivalry week, you know. Rivalry week. <laughs> Always a fun one to say against Auburn. So I want you to tell me, out of all all your favorite sports teams, any sport, baseball, basketball, football, whatever. What was your favorite win against a rival? Go for it. Favorite win against a rival is going to be um, one because I was there and it was a pretty cool. It was a, probably the coolest experience that I've ever had. It was uh, 2011 um, against Florida in Jacksonville. Georgia ended up winning that game by four. I think it was 24 to 20. And that's the game that if you remember, um, I think it was – it, yeah, and I get those years mixed up as far as what year it was. But uh, it was – Georgia, that's the game that I think Malcolm Mitchell broke off that touchdown. 2012. 2012 then, sorry. 2012, so the score is different than that too because I looked up 2011. Uh, 2012, and it's the one that you know Malcolm Mitchell broke off that touchdown and ran cool. in. And, and then um, Jarvis Jones saves the day. Jarvis Jones saved the day on that fumble. Uh, I was at that game, and I was in – that's the one time I have ever sat first row – at a Georgia-Florida game, actually at any football game, that wasn't like a high school football game, sat first row in the end zone. And so when Malcolm Mitchell ran that touchdown in, I swear to God, he ran right to where I was sitting. And so it was just the coolest experience. Should have pulled out that BlackBerry, man. That, yeah. snapped that After oh, I was, nobody was having a phone out at that moment. You were enjoying the moment and nobody was like recording anything. gum millennials. Yeah, and telling everything. you. You got to enjoy the moment. But um, – and, and then after the game, all of the all of the players started jumping up into the stands with with fans and stuff. And actually, our section, a bunch of those players started jumping up there. My brother actually had a picture <laughs> that was posted on um, Tavares King's Instagram. There was a picture a long time ago, and it's my brother sitting next to Tavares King on his own Instagram. And uh, I ended up I was I was young. This is once again 2012, so I was pretty young. I got um, you know Christian Robinson threw me his glove and stuff like that. So it was just a really cool experience personally. And you get to beat Florida down in the swamp, and that was when Georgia had you know struggled against Florida a good bit back in the early 2000s. Those games in Jacksonville, all all those wins mean a lot because I mean Corey Smith picks it perfectly. Man, if you don't win, it's a long back ride home from Jacksonville after a game that you should have won. It, if you lose that game, it's a long ride back home. And that was the game, too. Um, I remember me and my brother, after the game finished, we drove back from Jacksonville to Athens that night. Oh. Ooh. We drove back to Athens that night because my brother had to be somewhere. He was he, had, he plays in the church band and stuff, and he had to be at church that next morning He's at devoted. like 7 a.m. Goodness And gracious. so he had to be back. And so we drove from Jacksonville after that game, too. It was crazy. Oh. Well, mine's simple. Recent. Everything. Beat the Dodgers last year in the 2021 NLCS. And the reason being, you hadn't beat them in the playoffs since 1996. You'd lost them three other times since then in the playoffs. They had your number in the playoffs. We never wanted to see the Dodgers in the playoffs because, like, man, they have our number. It seems like I still, to this day, can vividly see Craig Kimbrell standing in the bullpen in that um, NLDS against the Dodgers up. and just watch the game crumble away. Just That one hurt. That one stung. That one hurt a lot. Gut punch. And then in 2020, you lost them again. So close, it seemed like, to getting to the World Series. Last year, you finally did it. And it was just the way that you beat them. I know that they're, like, hitting the Grand Slam. I know you lost that game. But there was just moments. 2018. Or 
Well, you're talking about last year. Last year, last when they year, hit yeah, the grand yeah, slam. Yeah, yeah. Like moments, I know you lost the game, but like moments like that in your home stand where you hit a grand slam against them. Eddie Rosario hits his home run that, that puts the Braves back in the lead. Those, Is that the game that Eddie Rosario almost hit for the cycle? Yes, and he hit two home runs. Yes, yeah, that game was crazy. I mean, Eddie Rosario on that series was just very memorable. I feel like that entire series. He won was, us that series, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah, I he feel won like that, that will series. forever be a series that we remember forever because it was such a mon- – it was like Georgia beating Alabama finally, that type of feeling. Like we finally got over that hump, and when you did, you were finally went, able to win it all and finally get that ring back in Atlanta, and now the Braves have another chance to go after one. After clinching the division after trailing for uh, 10 Five and a half years. years, the Dodgers <laughs> led the division for like 171 days. The Braves, eight. Eight Mets, days. You said Dodgers. You meant Mets. Oh, yeah. Mets. The Mets. Sorry. The Mets. The Mets, yeah. The, the, actually, I saw this stat today. I think it was 175 days that the Mets led the division this season, and the Braves led it for eight days. The Braves are the one that's winning the division. Love it. The Braves were 10 and a half games back on June 1st, and then they went on that 14-game win streak. Remarkable comeback. It's in, insane. In MLB history, if you ask me. So. Which has created one of the like the most enjoyable meme moments on Twitter. Oh, it's past been, couple it's of days amazing. with everybody talking Braves about that. Braves even did a Twitter takeover day where fans were able to comment their memes and they're posting them right now. Look, now I got the whole crew in here. My mom's saying that the 1982 Georgia versus Auburn was her favorite win against a rival. I'm telling you, Georgia versus Auburn always, always a special game and always has high stakes. Sent Georgia um, to the Sugar Bowl that year in 1982. Had Herschel back in that day, man. So that was a big win for Georgia, of course. And, yeah, we got more Jacksonville games popping up. Marion mentioned him one. So the games in Jacksonville always have high stakes. But, yeah, I had to go with the Dodgers and the Braves last year. because I, I thought about going with the Dodgers in a series of stuff, too, at one point. But then I like I couldn't even remember. You know, I, one game that was big, we actually lost that one, which was so crazy, though, was in 2018 is what I kind of mentioned a second ago, when Acuna hit the grand slam yeah, off of I mean, uh, Bueller. In um, moments like those, you, you that almost, was one of those crazy games. Yeah. That's the one that, but that girl said she would get his face tattooed on her yes. if he hit a grand slam, yes. and he hit a grand slam, and she actually got the tattoo. It was pretty cool. Um, that was one of those games that really stood out to me. But then we ended up losing that game, crazy mm-hmm. enough. But or we lose the loss of series, yeah, and the series. That yeah. was the one game we won in that series. But oh, we did win that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all right, that's gonna wrap it up, guys. Fifty-three minutes. If you stuck with us this whole time, we've had. A consistent number of um, viewers this entire episode. So shout out and a to lot you of guys. engagement. I really appreciate yeah. that. And shouts to the Williams family in the comments. I really Always appreciate that as me. well. That's right. You got to support the boy. So um, he's doing a good job. I think I'll keep him around for a little while. But I appreciate better. you guys in the comment section. Yeah, we appreciate it, guys, for sticking around, engaging with us. Um, also, if you haven't done so already, like the video that helps us out a lot helps us beat that algorithm helps us reach more people in the youtube universe so you can click on that video for us and also if you haven't already hit that subscribe button as we said we broke 100 last week that's a bit monumental moment for us so we keep moving up it's exciting to watch this grow we're excited we keep loving seeing the, the new faces popping up in here so and everybody that else that's in us. there well, i'll give the shout outs to zach as always we appreciate zach, you're you you're always Roots. in here Roots you're is always, always here in for here. us marion we see you bouncing in here a good bit as morgan well. you're always here morgan's always we appreciate here. everybody like, that's man, here all the time shouts out to all of you guys yes. it really means a lot and stoddard you get the honors i'll give it back to you this give week. it back I, to me this week. I, get, nice I took your cl- spot last week so i gave it to it you was last nice getting close out the show last week but i'll hand it back maybe we'll let you do it every once in a while maybe maybe next week we let him just Take my role, and I'll sit back and let him open things open up. Open and close? I'll let him. Right. Next week, we'll see what he can do. Going for the right? complete game. Let's like see it. what he can do. As always, keep it classy in the Classic City. We will catch you guys next week. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... of the entire